Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We just finished the study in 1 Corinthians, and here we are in 2 Corinthians. There's about a three-year gap between these two books. Okay, we're at about 57 AD. It's right before... There's some variation from different scholars, but it, it's it's around Acts 21, between Acts 21 and Acts 23. Me personally, I think it's around right around right around Acts 21. Uh, some people say it was like when he was, uh, when Paul was uh, imprisoned while he was in Jerusalem uh, during that time frame. Remember our study in, in, in Acts 20 where, or in Acts 21 uh, through 23, he gets into Jerusalem and uh, then he gets captured. He and then he uh, uh, he's before Felix and uh, uh, um, uh, um, uh, uh, Felix and Agrippa, and so it's right around that time frame. And I I think it's at the early early part of that. Um, so the, the different scholars have different reasons, but me personally, I think it's around that Acts twenty one area. Uh, now. Remember our study in Acts 2, in, in Acts chapter 20, the, the Miletus meeting with the elders of Ephesus and how he says that savage wolves won't spare the flock even among the elders. Well, that's not just for Ephesus. It's for its church-wide. It's for Corinth as well because Paul gives some strong warning about false teachers in 2 Corinthians. Now, also remember, you know, it's not just for Ephesus. It's not just for Corinth. It's for us today as well. False teachers. It's a beautiful passage, this letter, you know, the letter to the Corinthians, because you see a lot of immaturity in the church, a lot of baby Christians in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and then all of a sudden chapter 5, boom, it's like, whoa, where, you know, there's that division that's made, that separation. Anybody named a brother that's involved with, you know, X, Y, Z? No, they're, you know, they're leaven. And then all of a sudden we start to see, you know, there's this three-year gap between 1 Corinthians and then Paul gets into deeper subject matter. Spiritual warfare is one of them. I think it's very interesting that you don't see the things mentioned about spiritual warfare in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 or 3 or 4. Because a lot of times people want to, you know, a lot of Christians, it's like, wow, I want to understand spiritual warfare. But wait a second, you're still in like a, a, a 1 Corinthians chapter 4 kind of stage where you're, you haven't dealt with the leaven. I mean, we could look, look church-wide, and but what about internally? What about for you and me individually inside of us? It's like, wow, I want to learn more. I want to learn more. We're, let's go back to basics where all of a sudden we have to address this these works of the flesh. These works of the flesh are a hindrance to your growth in Christ individually and then also corporately for the church body, for the ecclesia. It's not a good thing, the works of the flesh. Yes, of course, there are deeper subject matter about, you know, spiritual warfare, all kinds of different things, with, 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 which are, you know, for more mature Christians to have this understanding, not just understanding, but to actually apply these things in our lives. But what about, what about the works of the flesh? Don't forget about those things. And it's a constant, like, you know, not just a battle, but it's like something we have to do constantly every day for the rest of our lives. It's not like, you know, we can mature in Christ and because we have maturity, all of a sudden go back to the works of the flesh. No, we move on to perfection. And something, too, you're going to see that's very interesting is that, you know, as we progress progress further in this timeline and get further to yeah, I mean, 70 AD, the destruction of the temple, and then, you know, you get into, like, you know, pretty much after the destruction of the temple, it's John that's left. John's letters are all that's left, you know, uh, the Apostle John. 
first John, second John, and then Revelation. Not much happens after 70 AD. I mean, you know, for the church, a lot happens, but the growth of the church from that point. But Genesis to Revelation, you know, it's like, okay, you know, what was written is like, okay, there's not much, you know, about 90 AD, John the Revelator. And then after that, it's like prophecy. Things that will be fulfilled. Things that have been fulfilled. Things that are yet still pending for us today, for this last day's generation. But the cost of being a Christian, you know, in, in this uh, Roman area, Corinth, Ephesus, uh, Galatia, the cost of being a Christian is also amplifying. It's getting hotter. It's getting heavier. You know, there's that aspect to keep in mind, too. It's like, you know, we read 1 Corinthians. It's like, wow, that's that's a beautiful book. We get into 2 Corinthians. Wow, that's a beautiful book. But understand that as we progress further on this timeline, also the cost of being a Christian is also amplifying. Where, you know, ultimately it led to the, the capture of Christians. The imprisonment of Christians where, you know, Roman soldiers would come, put a knife to your neck, put a knife to your throat. Okay, who is God? You say Caesar is Lord, you get to live. You say Jesus is Lord, you know, that's it. Either they kill you or they put you in the games. That's what happened. That's, that's, there's a lot of blood. A lot of blood in the history of the church, in the history of Israel. A lot of blood. And so here we get into, you know, in chapter one, this three-year gap. Remember, Paul isn't, he's, I want to say he's establishing himself to the church in, in Corinth, but, you know, there's this three-year gap. And so, you know, we, we're, we're kind of spoiled. I shouldn't say we're kind of spoiled. We're straight up spoiled. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, that was our, we ended our study last week. And here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter one. And, you know, for us, it's just a weak gap. But for the church, it was a three-year gap. And so Paul is establishing himself. You're going to see a lot of overlap with the things he says. And you're going to wonder, well, well, Paul, you already addressed that. You already said that. Well, you know, keep in mind, there's this three-year gap. What has happened to the church in three years? Some have matured. Some have matured. Others have not. Some have walked away. We have... New believers who have come into the church. And not just new believe, new believers who have come into a church where it's, you know, crazy. Everybody's speaking in tongues like crazy. No, it's like, well, there's order in the church. People are speaking in tongues, maybe one, two, three at the most. There's interpretation. Look at the order that was established in Corinth. And now you have more mature Christians based on what was written in 1 Corinthians. These... Christians, these saints apply these things written by Paul. And then we get into 2 Corinthians and now deeper subject matter come. Such a powerful, you know, when we think about Corinth, and but internalize it. Think about yourself. Think about our own fellowships. I don't know where you go to church, but think about your own fellowship. Because it's like, wow, you know. The, the church is growing. We have, you know, 10 new believers. We have 20 new believers. Wow, in total, we have 500 people in our church. Well, the numbers don't matter. The numbers don't matter. Where's the growth? Where's the maturity in Christ? 
you see. Especially when you think about, you know, anybody named a brother involved. You know, I'm always going to, you know, refresh refresh our memories. You know, in chapter 5, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians, anybody named a brother, he says in verse 11, But now I have written, I have written you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, or an idolater, or or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. And that's a hardcore decision for you to make, for me to make. That's a hardcore decision. But when that decision is made, look at the things that can be applied in our lives. Look at the things that can be applied in our lives for the sake of our growth, for the sake of maturity. And then we're going to see, you know, we looked at the, 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 the benefit. I mean, of course, there was the benefit and advantage of it immediately, but even though it was hard. But look at how advantageous it was in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, what we studied last week. And we're going to see more of that in 2 Corinthians And so Paul is establishing himself. He's already established, known to the church, but there might be some new believers. There might be some new believers in the church in Corinth, so he's, you know, writing this letter to them. Maybe there are people who are teeter-tottering, going back to the works of the flesh. Paul is addressing them. So he writes this letter, and let's kick off our study here in verse 1. Paul says here in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. How beautiful is it? Now remember, an apostle is a messenger. That's what you see when the, 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 the disciples with Jesus Christ, they were disciples and then they became messengers. They were students and then they became messengers. Remember, students, messenger, students, messenger, students, messenger. That's the order. Is not messenger and then student. That's what happens in the church a lot. People are novices. They they don't know scripture. They they're a novice. They want to be a messenger and then they go out and it's all of a sudden people ask these questions. Well, you believe in this. Well, what about this? What about that? And they they just don't know. They go, oh yeah, you're right. Okay, I'm I'm not going to believe in Jesus Christ anymore. It's very dangerous to have a novice in certain ministries. You see, so student and then messenger. You have to learn. You have to understand. And then the Lord is going to call you into whatever ministry. You see? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I love this so much because it's just straight up the Lord's plan. Not my will, thy will, Lord. You see, by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, beautiful, beautiful Timothy. I'm so in love with Timothy. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. Now, remember, Achaia is like the broader area, so it's like saying, you know, uh, you know, uh, 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 to, to, with the saints that are in um, uh, Pasadena, uh, with all the saints who are in Los Angeles. So it's like it's like that with this the, the uh, church of God, with which is at Corinth, with with all the saints who are in Achaia. So it's the broader area. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Now you look at verse 2 and 3, you pack it all together. What do you see? You see grace. 
You see peace, you see mercy, and you see comfort. How beautiful is this? A special blessing on the church in Corinth. Remember, the cost of being a Christian is being amplified. The cost of being a Christian is being amplified. A commotion started to spread about the people of the way. That's what's so powerful when you do overlays. When you like, we look at Second uh, First Corinthians and Second Corinthians, but we overlay it with Acts chapter 18, 19, 20, 21. and we do that overlay, and then you start to realize, like, oh my goodness, yeah, there was a great commotion about the people of the way. People started to notice. And people started to notice and, you know, we're attracted and because we're the salt of the earth. And when salt, you know, keeps its flavor, retains its flavor, it creates that thirst. The preservation of the word of God. And there's that attracting element. But then what happens when salt loses its flavor? Maybe you don't need me to tell you because you live, you know, I teach from America. And the church here in Western culture, we've lost our flavor. We've lost our flavor. It's become seeker-friendly. You know, to name one, I mean, there's multiple things. I mean, false doctrine is rampant. So I teach from America. So, you know, if you're in Western culture, you know, you don't need, you don't need to, you know, what does it mean, salt that loses its flavor? Because we're straight up living in it. You know where you see a lot of f- beautiful flavor in the salt? You know where you see that? In the areas of the persecuted church, where the cost of being a Christian is very high. That's where you see a lot of beautiful salt. And if that's you, if you're in an area where there's hardcore persecution, I want you to know that we pray for you and we love you. I want you to know that and be of good cheer, be of good comfort. Comfort in these words that we see here. Like in verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. You know what's so beautiful of this? Having received now we give. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort, comfort those who are in any trouble. See, having received, now we give. And what is it that we give? With the comfort, he continues, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's like God pours. God pours into you. God pours into me. And then the overflow goes unto others. How beautiful is this what our Lord does? The Father of lights. How beautiful is it what the Lord does for us? For you, for me, for all who believe. For as the suffering of Christ. Now, this suffering, sufferings, how it translates is hardship, pain, and affliction. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. So our consolation, which is comfort and cheer, also abounds through Christ. Now, remember Peter, 
when he was persecuted and he rejoiced because he was counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ? When you're a Christian, when you're a believer, and you're on the receiving end of suffering, and you still can rejoice, that's supernatural. Because the natural man, the natural woman, is on the receiving end of suffering and persecution, and there's no joy. There's no consolation. There's no comfort. There's no cheer. But for the Christian, these are things that, you know, we can... We can Expect sufferings in this world. Because friendliness with the world is enmity with God. And vice versa too. The world will hate you. We're seeing it amplify. You're starting to see among Christians too. And I want to say so-called Christians. Because there's replacement theology which is very common in, in certain sects of uh, the Reformed culture, the Reformed theory, or the Calvinistic doctrine. Very popular so-called pastors. Supersessationism. Replacement theology, God has done with Israel. And what's happening in the church today is anti-Semitism. Oh, God is done with Israel. The promises are now on the church. So, you know, Israel's done with. And you're starting to see, especially with this, you know, this uh, 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 strife that was happening with Israel. Politically and militarily today. With this strife, you're starting to see the rise of anti-Semitism among Christian circles. And part of me wants to say so-called Christians. But I say Christian circles because I remain hopeful for those people to come out of those sects. We're certain, you know, as we progress further in the last days, doctrines will be exposed. Doctrines will be exposed. We're starting to see the rise of this anti-Israel, anti-Zionism. The world is the world. We're seeing that already. I mean, we're, we're straight up seeing that. The rise of anti-Zionism, anti-Israel movements. But it's now coming into the church. And in the world, we're in tandem with that. We're also starting to see increased mockery of Christianity, our faith. Remember, all of Scripture must be fulfilled. That's part of it. Hatred of Israel and hatred of Christians. Under the Antichrist spirit. That's what happens. So now we look at this, even for us, you know, as we progress further, the cost of being a Christian, the cost of being a Christian will intensify. And we can find comfort in these words. The sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Now, remember our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? And you have to remember the worker and the field. How as the worker, Paul says that, you know, we're under this affliction, but, you know, you guys have this element of safety. We're the worker, you're the field. We're the worker, you're the building. That's what Paul says. And so you have to make this, this, this distinction. Between worker and field, worker and building, God's building, 
God's doing. Listen to our, if you're like, if you're listening for the first time, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Actually, get yourself caught up. Listen to all of our study through 1 Corinthians. Actually, scratch that. Go back to Acts. Acts and then 1 Corinthians and then here we are in 2 Corinthians. A lot of study material. And if we are afflicted in verse 6, Paul says, it is for your consolation and salvation. Except now that the cost of being a Christian is intensifying, now there's this, this look at what he says here, which is, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. You see? If the workers are treated one way, don't be surprised when it trickles to the field. When it trickles into the building, don't be surprised. Suffering. Which is intensifying for the church in Corinth. And it's intensifying for the last day's church. Ultimately, we're under the spirit of the Antichrist and under the Antichrist himself. The world will want you dead. The world will want me and you dead. The Antichrist is going to kill Jews. And then the focus is going to be on Christians. Jews and Christians. It is prophesied to happen. And every jot, every tittle will come to pass. He says, or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. How beautiful is this? Because there's purpose. There's purpose in all these things. You know, whether it be affliction, whether it be comfort, there's consolation and, you know, uh, 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 consolation and salvation. There's purpose behind all of it. This is the point. For your consolation, for your salvation, church in Corinth, that's what he's saying. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, there's persecution. Yes, there's hardship, pain, and affliction. But turn the coin. There's Every coin has another side. Turn it around. Consolation and salvation. And our hope for you, he says in verse 7, is steadfast because we know that as you, we, we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you, are, you will partake of the consolation. You see? Remember that. Not just, you know, you hear me mention like the, the, the prophetic implications for the last day's church. But should the Lord tarry, what about just the regular sufferings? I don't want to say like the regular sufferings, but I meant, you know, the sufferings that we endure daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. You see, don't forget, you know, when you're under this suffering, there's don't forget the other side of the coin. Consolation and salvation. And so he says, in verse 8, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure or weighted down beyond measure, above strength, so that above above strength, so that we despaired even of life. You know, I love Paul's honesty here. I love his honesty here. Not to imply that he wouldn't be honest, but I love his openness. I love his open heart. 
Paul says, yes, I had despair. Yes, I had despair, church in Corinth. And you look at Paul like, wow, such a titan in the faith. And oh my goodness, he even he had despair. Yes. He's open. He's not. What, what does he have to? For what reason does he have to fake anything? Of what benefit would that be for the church? No, he's just open and honest. Wow, look, he's human just like me. Wow, look, he's human just like you. I love this so much. And you see a little picture of, you know, when Paul says this in his letter, and you do a little overlay of Acts 20, 21, 22, 23, you see like, wow. I mean, in Acts, you see what's happening, the, the, the recording of Dr. Luke. What Dr. Luke, the writer of Acts, wrote kind of like, you know, second person or third person. Some of it was, you know... Uh, first, second, and third, because, you know, sometimes he was with Paul, but then, you know, when he was not with Paul, they would meet up later, and he would you kind of record what happened, what, what like a little history, what, you know, what happened this last year, Paul, or what happened this last month, Paul, when I was over here, so that's why, you know, you start to see, when you read Acts, you know, you start to see things, how it's written, you know, something, it's written first person, second, third, but when you do this overlay of Acts 20, 21, 22, 23, and then you read this in verse 8. We don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us at Asia, with that, that we were burdened beyond the measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. And you see like, whoa, what was going on in Paul's heart? This despair. Burdened above strength. Paul. And yes, his heart is just open. His heart is open. He doesn't have to fake it. Oh yeah, I didn't despair. I'm a tough guy. No, he's completely open. Yes. My beloved brothers, my beloved sisters. Yes, I despaired. He says in verse 9, Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know, I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. But if you have a highlighter, these words in verse 9, we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. Highlight those words. Highlight those words. We should not trust in ourselves, but in God. That's powerful. Let us be a people that remembers that and takes it to heart takes it to mind and takes it to task in application. We should not trust in ourselves, but in God. Even in the hardship, just like Paul. Even when we are burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we have despair even of this life. Even so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. Because the time of testing has come. The time for the remnant to be refined has arrived. And we should not trust in ourselves, but in God. Who raises the dead, not past tense, raise the dead, raises the dead. Who delivered us from 
so great a death. You say, wait a second, that's past tense, delivered us from so great a death. Okay, hold on, let's keep reading. And does deliver us in whom we trust that we that he will still deliver, deliver us. You see, complete and total trust in God. You also helping uh, helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. You see? So you see like, wow, God is at work. God is doing these things. But then at the same time, how the church is included. You also helping together, together in prayer. In prayer. Look at the church in Corinth. What the Lord has done for them, for them to understand, to them, uh, through the vessel Paul, through Timothy the vessel. Look at what the Lord is doing. And you see Paul as overseer. You see Paul as overseer. And it's beautiful. This is biblical ministry. Now, you see Paul as overseer, taking care of the saints, teaching them, tending them. But then you also see other ministries start to blossom. Giving. The runners. Taking money to where it's needed. Helping the church. You see, serving in tables, whatever, in whatever capacity. I don't say whatever capacity, but, you know, Act 6, you know, serving in tables. Needs that arise in the church and, you know, don't just choose warm bodies. You have to look for the spiritual, don't look for the carnal. You see? And male, female serving in these capacities. Overseers, pastors, elders, male. Always male. Aside from that, male, female. Serving in these ministries. I love this so much because you see, not just Paul, not just this entourage. Remember, you know, in, in Acts 20, you know, Acts 20, 21, 22, you hear me mention the entourage, entourage. Even in our study in Corinth, they say, okay, now this entourage, it's not just like a group of people that are following Paul, it's a group of people that are students of Paul. And then the Lord uses them, the Lord teaches them, you know, Paul pouring into them. And then now, you know, Senders. Paul sends them out. Like yo-yos. Remember yo-yos? We studied that last week. The yo-yos. And you see Paul as overseer, tending the flock, teaching the flock, pouring into the flock, protecting the flock. You see? And now you have the inclusion of the church in Corinth and their prayers he makes mention in verse 11. And you also helping us together in prayer for us. This is so beautiful. Keep praying, he's telling them. God hears, God sees. Keep praying. You know what you see here? You see koinonia among the ecclesia. This is the church. And it's so beautiful. One body, many parts. It's so beautiful to see when you see with spiritual eyes, not the carnal eyes, but the, the carnal eyes are all oh, Paul's so mean. That's what carnal eyes say. Paul's so mean. How could he say these things? 
What do you mean take this brother and, you know, he's leaven. This sister is leaven. That's so mean-spirited. That's not love. Don't let the world define love. Let God teach you what love is. Let God show you what love is. Biblical love. Because that's the love that never fails. That's the love that endures the greatest gift. Because carnally, the carnal people say, Oh, Paul's so mean, Paul's so mean. How could he say that? How could he say, take this brother and, you know, take this brother and, you know, he's leaven. How could he say to take this guy and commit him to Satan? That's not love. That's not love. And there were these divisions. And we're going to see that in 2 Corinthians. We're going to see that there's these factions that start to, they start to talk smack about Paul. And Paul teaches that the church about spiritual warfare. It's spiritual. And so he teaches them. This is, this is part and parcel of spiritual warfare. You have to identify these things. You have to know how to fight. I love it so much. I mean, you see like beautiful Paul, beautiful Timothy, beautiful saints in Corinth, our beautiful Lord, our beautiful Father, our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. Under the Holy Spirit, it's so powerful what we see here in this holy bubble, so to speak. Remember the, the bubble we mentioned in Acts, you know, the bubble How beautiful is this bubble, this holy, holy bubble. And this is what we see here in verse 12. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. This is simplicity, is sincerity. It's And, and godly, godly sincerity, it's godly purity. That's how it translates in the Greek. With simplicity and sincerity and godly purity now this simplicity you know it's it's not like when you see people it it, it also translates as uh uh, uh like non-duplicitous it's it's like you know you see a duplicity in in some christians where you know you go to church and you say, oh god bless you god bless you god bless you and then after church they'll call their friend and say hey let's go get high let's go get drunk let's go to the strip club let's do this let me cheat on my taxes you see that dichotomy in certain people. Not with Paul. Not with those who are moving on to perfection. That's more of an Acts chapter or, or, or 1 Corinthians chapter 5 kind of thing. Or if that's not put in check, then okay, then now the pastor, the elder has a decision to make, has something to, not just a decision to make. In obedience to the Lord, okay, that's leaven. This sincerity, it's like, it's it doesn't have this uh, duality of man kind of thing. And this dichotomy of, you know, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I say, you know, God bless you, hallelujah. I speak Christianese, but, you know, I have this, that's just my public life, my secret life. Oh yeah, I go still go hang out with my friends. We go to the strip clubs, we get high, we do our drugs. We, we, we get drunk. No. Not Paul. Not Paul. Remember, Paul is a pattern. 
Paul is a pattern. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Don't imitate those workers of the flesh. Those who are obedient to the flesh. Don't, those are not patterns. Someone who speaks Christianese. Oh, God bless you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But then also is doing their drugs, their alcohol, their sex, their whatever. No, that's a ship that's tossed to and fro, which will eventually crash. You follow the, a different pattern. Just like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Paul is speaking about his testimony of conscience. Testimony of... Who knew there was a testimony of conscience? His conscience was clean before the Lord. Inside of his temple. This testimony of conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity or sincerity and godly sincerity or purity. Not with fleshly wisdom, not with carnal wisdom. Now there is fleshly wisdom and carnal wisdom in accordance to the world. But that's the world. A lot of people like to apply, say, oh, this guy's so wise, this girl's so wise, oh yeah, this lady, this guy, this whatever. They're so wise, they're so wise. According to who? According to what standard? Because if you call that wisdom, the Bible says this. Here, 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 it is also, you know, 20, it is also written. And you call this guy wise? Look at the fruit. Does he have a testimony of conscience? Does she have a testimony of conscience? No, there is no conscience. Otherwise, you know, they wouldn't be drunk all the time. They wouldn't be getting high all the time. They wouldn't be, you know, doing their sex stuff all the time. There is no testimony of conscience. So what does that tell us? That's not a pattern to follow. You see, not with fleshly wisdom, he says, but by the grace of God. I love this so much. It's not the wisdom of the world. It is entirely holy. And it's by the grace of God. I love this so much. Because it's, it's like the holy bubble. God is doing it. And more abundantly toward you. So if you're asking this question in your heart of hearts, what is this testimony of conscience? How do I tell? Do I have a good testimony of conscience? How, do I, how can I tell? Well, Paul says, more abundantly toward you. That's a strong way to tell. When, when things are in your life, when, you know, the, you know, by the grace of God, you know, this holy bubble, when you are not the benefactor, but another person is the benefactor, that's a strong way to tell. Because it's the Lord doing something through you. That's a strong way to tell. When it's all for you, that's one way to tell, uh, you know, there's some work that needs to be done there. That's a strong way to tell, okay, let's, let's get back to the drawing board. When you're the benefactor. But when it's for the sake of another, it's beautiful. More abundantly toward you, he says. 
in verse 13. For we are not writing any other thing, any other things to you than what you read or understand. It's, 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 it's nothing like new. It's not, you know, I told you this and everything aligns with what I told you, what I wrote you, everything, everything aligns with what I said to you, what I wrote to you, and not just these things, it aligns with the prophets. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Everything aligns perfectly. And don't forget, Paul was also on the receiving end of persecution. I mean, you look at our study through Acts. 20 through 23. Look at that study and look at Paul. Straight up just beaten, captured, in prison. A lot of hardship. Remember the Holy Spirit was testifying. Chains and tribulations await you, Paul. And in obedience he went. Even when the other apostles and other Christians, the church, Paul don't go, Paul don't go, Paul don't go. And he went. And in prison, the Lord was with him. You see the red letter. I mean, you see red letter. I mean, I read out of the uh, a Bible that had red letters, red letters for the words of Jesus Christ. You know, take that with a grain of salt because you know the 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 word became flesh. So I mean, you know, if they're going to be biblically accurate, you know, the whole Bible could be written in red. But you know, you look at the Gospels, you see all these red letters. Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, everything red letters practically. Not everything, but a lot of red letters. And then you get into Acts and you're like, what in the world? Where are these? How did these red letters get here? It was when he was, the Lord was with Paul in prison. You see? Where there was persecution. Major, major persecution. So much so that Paul, Paul, even. That he was burdened beyond measure above strength so that even he despaired, even of life. You see? And so he says this in verse 13. For we are not writing any other things to you than, than what you read or understand. Now, I trust that you will understand it even to the end. I love this. He says, now I trust or hope and expect you will understand, fully understand is how that translates even to the end, as also you have under, understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also as you also are, are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is a little, what he's saying here is like, now I trust that you will understand in verse 13, even to the end. He says, as, as also you have understood us in part. So there's a partial understanding now. A partial understanding now, but in the end, you know, it, it's almost like, you know, when Paul makes mention of these things, when he speaks about the last days, when he says to the end, or it, like at the end of verse 14, in the day of the Lord Jesus, you know, it, it, it's like, it, 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 it's, there's like partial understanding when Paul speaks about these future events for the church in Corinth. But as they mature, as they progress further in their maturity and understanding, it's like, okay, now I get it. I mean, picture yourself if you were to teach a brand new believer. Say you led someone to Christ. And they're inquisitive. Oh, I, I heard about the last days or this guy is teaching about the last days. What is that? 
You say, well, well, hold on, hold on. You know, I'll, I'll tell you that, but let, you know, first, are you a Christian? Are you a believer? No, no, I'm, I'm just inquisitive. I want to know what is this last days business. I say, okay, hold on. The last days, it's a biblical, biblical truth. It will happen. It's coming to these things are coming to pass, but you need to be a Christian. And you, then you lead a person to Christ. And this person comes to Christ and they say, okay, now I want to understand this. And so you don't just like pour in, like you all, you know, like, just pour in everything, you know, little piece by piece. And then they're like, wow, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. And then in the course of time, they're a brother, they're a sister. And in the course of time, wow, I get it. I get it. I understand now. I can see these prophecies. I can see everything coming to pass. And that's what's being written here in verse 13 and 14. Now, I trust you will understand how that translates in the Greek. says, I hope and expect you will fully understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part. So you have this partial understanding, but... You know, as you grow and as you mature, I trust, I hope, I expect you will under, fully understand even to the end. In verse 14, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. I love this one family. One family reaching the end together. I love that. It's so powerful. It's so beautiful. Paul's saying, you know, we are your boast, but you know, it doesn't, it's not, not we are your boast, period. We are your boast, but you know what? You're our boast. We're going to paradise. You see, it's like, yes, we're going to paradise. And you know what? No one left behind. No one left behind. Yes, there are going to be times where, you know, once leaven is identified, okay, then, you know, we have that leaven has to be dealt with. But no one left behind. And that's what we're going to see next week. And Lord willing, our study in chapter 2. Now that this church in Corinth, you have, you know, this three-year gap. You're going to have more mature Christians. You're going to have some that, you know, maybe they became leaven. But you're gonna have, you know, this this last when you in our study in First Corinthians when you look at the this division of the the leaven and uh, uh, the non-leaven, the remnant and the leaven. Well, this remnant it's so beautiful because they're more mature, they have this understanding, and now we're gonna get into passages, especially next week, where it's like, okay, this leaven now bring them back into the camp. Not that you're accepting of this leaven, like, you know, okay, this leaven, okay, now we can introduce leaven back into the fellowship. But you have more mature Christians that are now able to deal with that leaven. Hey, brother, don't do the sex anymore. Hey, brother, you're not going to do the, don't do the drugs anymore. Don't do the alcohol anymore. Hey, sister, don't be an extortioner. Don't be a reviler. Don't be a drunkard. Meanwhile, the Lord is doing something inside of those people who are outside the camp. The Lord is at work. You see how beautiful this is? One family. One family. And they're reaching the end and in the day of the Lord Jesus, making reference of like that end point. 
in our on our carnal walk. I mean, it's a spiritual walk, but I mean, in according to the flesh, where the immortal puts on immortality, or the the mortal puts on immortality. And in this confidence, he says in verse fifteen, "I intended to come to you. I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit." <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I like Paul's sense of humor. That you might have a second benefit. <laughs> to pass my way to you to Macedonia. To come again from Macedonia to you. And be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? See, it's not a small thing. How Paul longs to be with the saints in Corinth. Paul longs to be with them. He desired to be with them. How he wanted to be there. And was it a small thing? He says, when I, in verse 17, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? No, it's not a small thing at all. Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? Or how, you know, in some translations says yay, yay, or nay, nay? No. Not at all. That's the world's way of doing things. They're so wishy washy. That's the world's way. Wishy washy. Paul wanted to be with them. Paul's heart wanted to be with in Corinth. With the saints in Corinth. Not just the saints in Corinth, but the, the saints in Galatia, in Ephesus, the saints wherever he was, and you know, the, 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 the churches that he established. Paul's heart wanted to be with them. But he's just one guy. There's limitations when you're just one guy. And so this entourage we see in, in Acts 20, this entourage, okay, this close group of people, Paul says, okay, I'm going to pour my heart and soul, everything into you guys. Now you guys are the messengers. Now you go. You see, Paul as overseer for the church and Paul as overseers for the overseers. And Paul himself, a vessel of the Lord. Not to deify Paul. You see how beautiful this is? There's no biblical evidence that Paul returns to Corinth. From Acts, uh, from, from Acts 18, when the church in Corinth was established. There's no biblical evidence that he ever returns to Corinth. Me personally, I don't think he made it there. Again, he was there, but I don't, once he left, I think that was it. Not because in his heart he was just like, oh, you know, uh, Corinth, I'm, I'm done with Corinth. No, he longed to be with them. Look at our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. You see like, wow, he really loves these people. There's a people to whom he died. Yes, he really loves these people. He says, therefore, in verse 17, therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, or no, no, or yay, yay, or nay, nay? Understand, that's, that's, that's the world's, that's how they do business. But not Paul. These guys in Corinth, my heart desires to be there with you. But then you read, you remember our study in Acts 20, 21, 22, 23, you start to see like, 
Well, Paul was under some major duress there. I mean, we see it from the outside looking in, but then when he writes of it and says, okay, this is the inside out, the sentence of death in us, burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired, even this life. He's like, whoa, this really, this really hit Paul hard. And in that time, not just the, the, that impact unto Paul, but why, Paul? Because he wants to see that he wants to be with the saints in Corinth. His heart is like, yes, he's here in obedience to the Lord, but yet his heart, oh, the church in Corinth, I want to be with them. I want to teach them. I want to pour into them. You see? In verse 18, but as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. No, it wasn't wishy-washy. He says, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by, by us, by me, Sylvanus and Timothy. You see, people in his little entourage, the yo-yos, overseers in whom Paul, Paul the overseer is pouring into the overseers, and these overseers are now overseers in the church for the saints. You see? Jesus Christ was preached among you by us, by me, Sylvanus and Timothy. Was not yes and no. Not, nothing wishy-washy. But in him was yes. You see? Paul is it. Remember, his testimony of his conscience. It's pure. It's pure. Well, he wasn't wishy-washy in his answer to the church in Corinth. He's not wishy-washy in his behavior. Nothing wishy-washy. You see the beautiful temple, clean and pure. Not, oh yeah, I'm going to speak Christianese to you guys, but then when I'm done with you guys, I'm going to do go do my crack. I'm going to speak Christianese to you, but then when I'm done with you guys, I'm going to go do my sex. I'm going to go do my alcohol. I'm going to go, no, that's wishy-washy. Such a person has zero testimony of conscience. Zero. Actually, just the opposite. Condemnation of conscience. And it's, the Lord will reveal it all. You look at the fruit. In verse 20, for all the, for all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, Amen. To the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. You see, this holy bubble. Back to the bubble. Remember, we studied the bubble. You hear us mention the bubble in our study in Acts. The holy bubble. That's what you look for. That's what you look for, this holy bubble. in brothers and sisters. And those are bubbles that you want to be with. It's beautiful. It's rare. Especially as we progress further in these last days. It's rare. It will be a rarity. But the remnant is so beautiful. The remnant. That is being refined. In accordance to prophecies. In accordance to scripture. The remnant that is being refined in these last days. Is going to grow even more beautiful. Yes. Those outside the remnant. They're going to get ugly and more ugly and more ugly. But the remnant, 
because you know the, those the the the, the 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 remnant that gets more beautiful and more lovely and more pure and then those outside the remnant they're on their way to apostasy and entering apostasy and then you look at the studies through revelation and it's like that's why you see these angels shouting come out of her my people because the outside the remnant you have People entering into apostasy and straight up in apostasy. In accordance to the mother of harlots, the mother of whores. And the angels shouting, come out, my people, come out of her, my people. Get yourself back where you need to be into the remnant. That's like the last call. What do I say today? If you're in apostasy or if you're an apostate or entering apostasy, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people. Repent. Repent and come back to Christ. You see? That's what's so beautiful about what we see what's happening here. In verse 21, now he who established us with you in Christ has and has anointed us is God, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. It's so beautiful. You see the seal. Now, don't forget that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Satan has his own uh, mockery, his own fake, his foe, the fake, the dragon. You have Satan, and you have the, the dragon, and then you have the Antichrist, and then you have the false prophet. He tries to fake it. To emulate. And he also has a seal. He also has a mark. 666. The number of his name. In accordance to prophecy. He also has a seal. He also has a mark that he will put on all of creation. Except the remnant. The remnant will refuse. I'm not getting that mark. No way. And then you have so-called pastors, so-called shepherds, so-called overseers who teach the flock of God. Go ahead and take the mark. Go ahead and take this seal of the dragon. Go ahead and take this seal of Satan. Go ahead, take the seal. You'll still be saved. Don't ever do that. Don't listen to such people. Such people are poison. No. The seal of the Lord is the Holy Spirit. In verse 22, given us the Holy Spirit, the, the, given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And this is guarantee. It's like a security deposit. It translates as earnest money. Like you go to buy a house, you give earnest money down. It's a, like a down payment. I love that so much. The Holy Spirit is like a... It, no offense to the Holy Spirit, you know. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> But the Holy Spirit is like a down payment. Which means what? You are a yo-yo. You know, remember what we studied that last week? The, the yo-yo concept? Well, one day, there's that flick of the wrist and boom. You belong to Him. You belong to the Lord. The Holy Spirit in you is a down payment, is a guarantee, is earnest money. Which means you belong to Him. You belong to the Lord. 
Don't forget that. And Satan has his seal too. Don't you ever take that mark. I don't care. You know, whoever, whoever has a study Bible and says you can take the mark of the beast, don't you ever take that mark. You see? So we have this who has also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul. <laughs> Paul is bold. <laughs> I call God as witness against my soul. <laughs> he is one bold brother. Wow, moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you. I came no more to Corinth. That, that is hardcore. That is powerful. That to spare you. You know how this translates? To spare is to refrain from harming, refrain from injuring, destroying, or killing. Now, Paul's not going to go out and kill the church, the, the, the Corinthians. He's not going to kill them. But that's how incensed he was at the carnality. Yes, my heart's desire is to be with you, Corinth. But it's better that I don't go to Corinth. It's much better that I don't go. Why, Paul? Why? Now, say you and me, we get in a time machine. We go back in time to Acts 20. And we're joined in Paul's entourage where he's pouring into us. We're at the Acts 20 meeting where, you know, a guy fell out the window. We're there all night. We're just listening, being poured into and just like marveling like, wow, he's teaching us. And we're with him and he's teaching us even more. And we're part of Paul's inner circle, future yo-yos, future overseers. And we're under the, an, uh, 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 an overseer that is pouring into us. And in the course of our travels, somebody comes up, running up. Hey, Paul, Paul, we got a letter from those in the household of Chloe. Oh, that's the Corinthian church. Oh, I love those people so much. Come here. Let's read it. You, read this, you know. Paul has us all sit down. Paul's kind of an old guy, so it takes him a while to sit down. We help him up. We get up. You know, you're on one side of him. I'm on the other side of him. We help him down, sit him down on a, you know, a stump. A stump. <laughs> to those who have ears. <laughs> we set him down. We set him down on a stump. And the old guy, he's sitting down. And he says, okay, you read this. The reader stands up and starts to read. The letter from those in the household of Chloe. And then we start to see, wow, look. The drunkards are there. The revilers are there. The extortioners are there. The sexually immoral are there. And as this letter is being read, you just see Paul cower over. And he starts to weep, practically falling over. And he starts to weep. Like, no more, don't, don't read it anymore. I can't take any more of this. He starts to weep. And in, the, the, in this letter of those in the household of Chloe, they say, there's even a guy here who's having sex with his dad's wife. And that was like, 
That is like a knife in the heart of Paul. Our hearts too. Because we're in this beautiful bubble. It's like, oh my goodness, what is going on in Corinth? And then there's that aspect of sorrow, of despair. Like, oh my goodness. And then Paul says, okay. You know, not just immediately, but there's that, you know, there's that uh, sorrow. That period of sorrow. Now there's the resolution. Now what needs to be done about this? Paul prays. Paul goes off and prays. And Paul says to scribe, okay, scribe, we're going to write a letter. You see? It's like, wow, Paul's going to write this letter. How beautiful this letter is. 1 Corinthians. But now we get into 2 Corinthians and says, moreover, I call God as witness against my soul in verse 23, that to spare you, I came no more to Corinth. Because, you know, look at the stages of grief. There's the world's aspect of the stages of grief, but then there's the Christian's aspect of stages of grief. What about this grief in Paul? The works of the flesh in Corinth. And now he says, look, it's good that I don't go to Corinth. Because if I went to Corinth, I'm going to write a letter, you know, and, and, you know, that's in obedience to the Lord. It's not just like straight up, you know, I'm going to write a letter. It's like, you know, it, it's of the Lord. The Lord, the Holy Spirit is directing, guiding and saying, you know, Paul goes off and prays. There's this problem. He's, there's that sorrow of the works of the flesh. Paul goes off and prays and the Holy Spirit says, okay, write a letter. Just like Moses. Remember when there was problems in, in, in the Old Testament and, you know, all, all this kerfuffle in the camp? Moses falls to his face and prays. You see, Aaron falls to his face, prays. Paul prays. The Lord gave Moses instruction. The Lord gave Aaron instruction. The Lord gives Paul instruction. Paul, write a letter. Write a letter to the church in Corinth. You see, Paul writes a letter. And he looks at you, he looks at me, because we're on a time machine, you know, we already, we're there in that bubble. He looks at us, he looks at this group of people with him. We see little Timmy, Timmy's there, Sylvanus is there, all these beautiful people there, men and women. Remember, there are people who had beef with him. Why do you have women with you? Well, in Christ, there's no male or female. He says, he looks at us, he looks around. He's, guys, I, I can't go to Corinth. I want to go to Corinth, but I can't go to Corinth. You know what? I have, I, I have to spare them. Because I'm mad. I'm straight up mad. How did this happen? I got to spare them. Because if I go, you know, I'm going to be sad. I'm mad. I can't go. Sylvanus, you go. Timothy, you go. Here, take this letter to them. Can he call your name? Can he call my name? Because we're not we're in that we're in that bubble, we're in that entourage. Whose name can he call to be faithful to deliver that letter? And not just deliver the letter, to read the letter and you know, 
as as yo-yo overseers being poured into by an overseer. To be vessels that the Lord uses to clean house. The Lord uses Paul to clean house through the letter. But then there's also vessels used to clean house. You see what's happening here in this beautiful bubble? It's so powerful. Paul says, I can't go. I call God as witness, he says in verse 23, I call God as witness against my soul. Now, that's hardcore. Who do you know that would say that? I call God as witness against my soul. <laughs> that's hardcore. It's the only way to live. I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, to refrain from harming, injuring, destroying, or killing I came no more to Corinth. It's good that I don't go. Imagine all the people. Oh, Paul's so mean. How could he say that? He commit a guy to Satan. He calls this guy Levin. He calls this girl Levin. He's so mean. He says, no, to spare you, I can't go to Corinth. I weep for you, Corinth. But I can't go. Who can I send? You see? In verse 24, in closing, not that we have dominion over your faith, lordship over your faith. He doesn't want to lord over their faith. But our fellow workers, for your joy, he says. For your joy, for by faith you stand. You see what's so powerful about this? It's for your joy. He says, I want you to have joy. He's saying to the church in Corinth, I want you to have joy. You know, if... If, if I go into Corinth, I'm going to be sad because of the works of the flesh. The guy's having sex with his dad's wife. There's the extortion over here. There's a sexually immoral over here. The drunkard's over here. It's going to break my heart. And not just, I'm not just going to be sad, but I can't be silent about it because silence is consent. I'm going to clean house. And the way I clean house, you're not going to like it, Corinth. I want you to be joyful, Corinth. So here, I'm going to send Timothy. Sylvanus. And because you and me, because you and me are in our time machine, we're in that little bubble, can he send you? Oh, I'm female. I can't go. That's nice. In Christ, there's no male or female. Be like a Phoebe. Be like a Prissa. That's short for Priscilla. Be like a Lydia. Or Liddy. Be like a Eunice or a Lois. Don't forget. Priscilla taught Apollos. Now Priscilla had the male covering of her husband. Priscilla and Aquila. They taught Apollos. Teachers of a pastor. You see, even pastors have overseers. Elders have overseers. Pastors, the ultimate overseer is Jesus Christ. He's the head pastor. But Paul as pastor, Paul as overseer, pouring into overseer, pouring into saints and overseers. Can Paul send you? 
I can't go to Corinth, you guys. Yeah, they're they're breaking my heart. Did you see? Did you hear that letter from from Chloe? Did you see what was in that letter from Chloe? Do you see? And it's not Chloe just making stuff up. This is a reputable lady. I know her her Bible study. I know it well. Beautiful saints there. I love every single one of them. And I miss them. So when they say this, I know it's true. Think about what he thought about the pastors. Think about what Paul thought about the elders. Then you see a little bit, a little inside baseball to Paul's heart. When he writes to, Tim, when he writes to Timothy and Titus, especially to Titus, their mouths must be stopped. They teach things which they, which they ought not to teach. When he pours into little Timothy, when he pours into Titus, you guys make your stand. You guys are overseers. You guys make your stand. Let no one despise your youth, little Timmy. You guys stand. You guys be on guard, be on watch. And you fight like there's nobody's business. Fight like it's nobody's business. As for me, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. No one is with me. There's that, a little bit of satisfaction behind that too, because that's the beauty of solitude. Because in that beauty, in that oneness, in that intimacy with the Lord, you're not really alone. You're, like, you're in the cloud. You see, hearken to our study through Exodus. You're in the cloud. There's that beauty of intimacy, that beauty of solitude. And Paul desires for the church to have this joy. And yes, joy is beautiful to have. Indeed, something to be... Uh, 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 it's beautiful. It's not that Paul doesn't want them to have joy. And for that reason, Paul says, look, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you, to spare you, I want you to have joy. And yes, you know, we're going to clean house through this letter and through these overseers whom I'm sending and we're going to clean house, but it's, I want you to have this joy. I'm, I'm going to spare you, church. How powerful is this to see the heart of Paul, which is the heart of Christ, as a pattern? You see? And we're going to study in chapter 2 next week. It's just going to get deeper and deeper and more beautiful. In these last days, as the days progress and we get further, and the cost of being a Christian is going to amplify we're seeing it increase a little bit in Western cultures. But in areas of the persecuted church, we're seeing it amplify a lot more. A lot more. Where the cost of being a Christian is life-threatening. Stay faithful until the end. Until the end, stay faithful.
because the Lord is coming. So we're going to end our study here and Lord willing, pick up next week in chapter two. God bless you. Beautiful people of the way. I love you.